0: Welcome to our Community. this is Saratova Beth. We are beginning um, to learn something that comes out of a massive revolution. And the revolution began today, 123 years ago, and that means that today it begins in a whole other way. The way it began 123 years ago was fantastic, was something revolutionary, something groundbreaking, but nothing compared to this year, clearly, because every year it's higher. So, what's the revolution? And why are we going to learn? We're going to learn some of this about It might take a, a whole year to learn it. We'll learn little pieces of it. Today's the 15th of Elul. On the 15th of Elul, in the year 56-57, in the, 1897, in the town of Labavish, a new yeshiva was began. Why is that revolutionary? Another yeshiva. Because until now, you had a very masculine approach to learning Torah. And this began to introduce a a feminine approach to learning Torah, which was completely groundbreaking. And it continues to be groundbreaking every single day, week, month, and especially every year. So today is another groundbreaking day. What does that mean? What's the masculine approach? What's the feminine approach? The masculine approach is very much practical. A man gets to rent an apartment. He gets himself some chairs, some, a table, some chairs, a place to sleep, a place to put his clothes, his things. It's very basic. It's functional. Or let's say someone with a lot of male energy. They do something very functional. Just what do I need? Let's do the functional. The feminine approach is the warm, cozy, cute, little frilly approach. You have the functional stuff, but it's got to be cute and, and, and frilly and cozy. It's got to look nice, it's got to feel nice ambiance. In the masculine mindset, ambiance is not, it's not something important, except if you want to make money, so you open a restaurant with ambiance because you want to make money. but it's all about practical. they want to make money ambiance is a very feminine concept so the ambiance in Torah was not really focused on what people learned in Torah all through the generations was after, after the destruction of the base of we had something called the Mishnah permission was given to write down the Mishnah and then eventually the Gemara and basically it's all about what to do Just Tell me what to do. That's what Mishnah and Gemara and the derivative, halakha, Shulchan Aruch, is all about tell me what to do and figuring out how they figured out what to do. That's the Gemara. All day long, people are learning about how they figured out, how they derived this particular halakha, meaning in very simple terms. How do they figure out what to do? And just tell me, let's know how they figured out what to do, and let's do it. The end, face it. There's a whole other part to it to Torah. That's called Chasidus. Pneumisataira. That's the deeper aspect of Torah. It's all about how does Hashem feel? How do we feel? What does He feel when we do a mitzvah? What is the supernal revelation that's achieved when we do a mitzvah, when we say this word versus that word, when we do this particular mitzvah versus that? It's all about a lot of touchy-feely kind of stuff. Hashem's feelings, our so to speak, a relationship. The feminine dimension is all about relationships. And the masculine dimension is about getting stuff done. What do you have to do to get it done, get the job done? So on this day of the 16th of Elul, the Rebbe Rashab announced that he was opening a yeshiva in which young men would not just learn what to do, the basics, Gemara, but they would learn Pneinus at Taira Chassidus together with it. They would start to enter that very feminine energy within Tyra, and it would become mainstream. That was a revolution. Now, our question is, when exactly did this happen? What did it take for this announcement to, to be made in the year 1897? It was right after a wedding. Weddings are very after a the Weddings are very feminine. Men get married, a boy gets married, he wants to have a wife. You know, basic. Does so a wife has a family. The wedding usually the uh, he doesn't care that much except if, you know, he learned a few my Martin. But for the girl, the wedding, the flowers, the gown, the 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 invitations, every detail of it, the ambiance, the music. It's something she waits for all her life. And so, in the middle of this very feminine wedding, of the, pre, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, to his Rebbeton, this announcement comes. So why? Why does it take a wedding to bring in this feminine dimension to Torah, to make feminine learning mainstream? And the answer is the following. I wish, I said, you could see me and do a demonstration. Take just um, a plastic – take a plastic cup and try to balance it on two fingers. It's not going to work. You have to be pretty good, a juggler, to balance that. Take a big, wide plastic cup or even a plastic plate. It's not it's, – you won't – let's do the plastic plate. You won't be able to juggle it to hold it up on two fingers. It will just fall fall down. Now put up a third finger. You have three finger, a three legged stool underneath this plate. Before you had a two legged stool, so to speak. Didn't work. Three legs underneath this plate. You can actually balance the plate. Of course, four legs, four fingers underneath would be better. But three are enough to balance the plate. Why? In order to, in order to have Something, um, uh, to create a vessel down here in the world for something very intense, you need three legs, three generations. What was happening at that moment, and what was planned from above, was that the revelation of Mashiach, the light of Mashiach, would start to come pour down into the world in a very powerful way, and would bring Mashiach. Change everything. Make a home for God down here in this world. For that, you cannot have two generations. You have to have three. Three legs on the stool. The generations that the Rebbe refers to as Miyad. The Rebbe Rashab. The the, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. the, The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. The sixth. And the Rebbe's generation. And it says that there are three mitzvahs that you have to do when you enter the land of Israel. And each corresponds to each of these The they appoint a king, which the first mimer of the Rebbe Roshav, this I'll say another time, and this is very concise, was um, was the idea of Kethe Yitzmulcha, Malchus. Then you have to destroy Amalek. The first mimer of the Firdegreba was a uh, Amalek, destroying Amalek. And then the third is, building the base and Midrash, the Rebbe's first mimer was Asilagani. Again, we'll do that again at greater length. We're talking here about three generations. The 6th, 7th, 5th, 6th, and 7th Lubavitch Rebbe. The Rebbe Rashad, the Shredeg three Rebbe, and the Rebbe. Three generations, three legs. Three, three legs to the stool, three legs under, supporting this vessel on top, this plate on top, It's strong enough now to have stuff being poured right down into it. Let's say really we were supporting a bowl on top of our fingers. This bowl can now be filled up with a lot of good stuff. It's going to be strong enough. It it will have enough support from underneath for you to be able to use this bowl. Otherwise, if stuff is being poured into the bowl, and I'm supporting this bowl on two of my fingers, it's going to keep tipping over, and it's... Whatever you're pouring into the bowl will just keep spilling out because the bowl will keep tipping. You need a bowl that doesn't tip. Three fingers underneath. Three generations. The light of Mashiach is going to pour down into the bowl, the vessel of the world. You need three generations. So we had the Rebbe Rashad, one generation. The previous Rebbe, two generations. Where is the third? The moment had to come for the Priyadikarebbe, the, the sixth to be married. Now you have the possibility through his marriage of the next generation. He was married on the 13th day of Elul that year, 50, 1897. 56-57. The evening of the second Shevarbrachas, the 15th of Elul, the second Shabbat brachas of that wedding, that feminine wedding, that is when the Rebbe Rashab, his father, announced that he will be creating a yeshiva that is revolutionary. And then this, the learning in the yeshiva, the yeshiva officially began on the Anchai on Elul, a few days, three days later, on the 18th of Elul which in itself is a whole cosmic day, revolutionary day. But what we want to focus on here is, just for a few moments, the idea that the revolution that this brought in, this is all, it's okay, you opened up another yeshiva and now we use it every year. If we want to do something, we can make little videos and tell us, great, this is the birthday of the yeshiva. The 15th of Elul was way beyond just the opening of a yeshiva. Because yeshiva, remember, means, you know, yeshiva. What do you do? Sit like yeshiv. You sit. Settle in. A yeshiva, it, when you sit, you sit on a chair. What's a chair? What's a chair if you take it all the way up to its spiritual source? It's the, what's the idea of sitting on a chair? It's the concept of his yashvut, yashvut. Something settling itself down. It, it's not fly by night. It's not flighty. It settles down. The Rev. saw that the moment had come for the light of Mashiach to settle down into the world and revolutionary, revolutionize the world in the uniquely feminine way, the moment had come, and it had to sit, like sitting in a chair, sit, settle itself down into the world in a very grounded way. So that's how we say this is more than just starting a yeshiva where you sit, but it's starting a yeshiva that is settling into, settling into the world of the light of Mashiach and of the feminine dimension. That's a piece of the revolution of today. So we can imagine that 123 years later, the revolution is way, way more into its advanced stages on the way to the ultimate goal, where Hashem will be fully, Hashem and the knowledge of Hashem, and and truth and and union and goodness and all of those good things will be fully settled into the world. The whole world will become a yeshiva. What they're going to do about fundraising then? I don't know. But the whole world will be a yeshiva. That's the ultimate end of the road. That's the goal. How do we know? The Rambam tells us that in Mashiach times, the occupation of the entire world will be ela, nothing other than to know God. No one will be interested in anything other than knowing God and bringing him down into their their practical lives in a very settled way. So what do you get to do in yeshiva? What you're really doing, you're not just learning what to do. That's the masculine stuff. Okay, we, we're here to learn tomorrow all day long and figure out what to do. No, that's the revolution. The feminine revolution of the fifteenth of Elul is, what do we do in yeshiva? We find out what to do. What are all the halachot? And we also find out, we also get to know God. We develop a relationship. That's what women are all about. That's the feminine energy. We, we like relationships. That's, that's our raison d'etre. So that's what keeps us going, relationships. Don't just tell me what to do. I want the relationship. The guys can be busy figuring out what God told them to do and do it. We want a relationship with God. Who's going to win? We will. How do we know? The Rambam told us. The whole world will want to have a relationship with God. That's how powerfully effective we as women will have become. That we brought the whole world to feel like, yeah, I really want to get to know God. The entire occupation of the world will be nothing other than to know God. To have that feminine instinct. When did this revolution begin that they all want to be so feminine? Even the guys? Even the scholars? It began on the 15th of Elo. Of course it began at Matan Taira and various stages in history. But a huge piece, huge chunk of the jump forward was the 15th of Elul, 1897. And another major chunk of this Jump forward is this year, 15 develop right here, right now, as we speak. So with that feminine re- revolution in mind, we ask ourselves one more question. Um, so what happens to the guys? You know, do we just throw the, God forbid, throw them by the wayside? What, what are they going to do? So really, it's even a little more even deeper than that not just about the women take over, the men sit around all day and have nothing to do, Dr. Bitt but rather now we start to have a blending of masculine and feminine energy in a way deeper and a way more grounded way than ever was possible before spiritually, emotionally Intellectually, in actual relationships, in marriages, in friends' relationships, in relationships, in ourselves, in us balancing the masculine and feminine energies in each of us, every strata, there starts to become that union. And the masculine-dominated society in which the masculine is the giver and the feminine is the receiver, all of that, as we all very well know, starts to turn upside down. So that ultimately, Nakeba to say giver, the feminine energy dominates and the masculine energy is fed from it. To do that takes a lot of skill. It was a lot easier when they were the givers, we were the receivers, which is clearer. The end goal is not we're the givers, they're the receivers. That's not it. Some kind of very uh, complex union of these two energies that probably only a woman can figure out how to do. Only, Only the feminine mind and the feminine heart has the skill, probably, to figure out how to blend the masculine and feminine energy As we say, within ourselves, within friendships, within marriage, within our intellect, within our heart and our mind, and all of that within the spiritual realm, it takes a woman to figure out how to do it. And it takes a very deeply feminine skill to figure out how to unify those two. So where do we begin? The Rappi Rasha does it for us. He says we begin to create that marriage of those two energies within Tyra. And when we learn that mimer, we'll see in a second the mimer, when we learn that mimer, we start to create those unions that ordinarily we wouldn't have a clue how to create down here in this world. And it filters down in a very profound way into this world. So the mimer, which we're not going to learn now, this is just the introduction, the mimer that we will learn over the next however long it takes, in peace, maybe a year, I don't know. It's called Samach to Samach, Tafresh Nunzayin, said by the Rebbe Rashad. And really, it was not one minor. It was said in the week that his son was married. It was said for the wedding and throughout the days of Sheber as parts of it, there were short, my mind said, by the wedding, I don't know exactly which part of the wedding, I have to research that. Was it for the Chassan, you know, at the chuppah. I don't. Probably, probably before the chuppah, and then at each shabbat throughout those days, pieces, other pieces of Marm were added on. This was some again. Um, godly knowledge was brought down into the world that never was before. It lasted an entire week. After that, at some point. All of those pieces, all of those short mimer were put into one hemshech, one continuum, one series, as we say, set over a week, and it's called the mimer of samach to samach. So we are going to, together with this revolution, we're going to start the revolution by reading one line and understanding one concept, and taking it, taking it with us. And one more thing to say, what we hope to do in this series is not only learn lofty concepts entirely, but create life skills based on it. Very practical life skills, together with research about relationships and all of that. That's what we hope, please God, to bring into the mix um, and to create a revolution in in all domains of reality so that we usher in the Gula especially So we're going to just read this first line and end here for today. And... The Mimer is based on, It's, it's, it's based on this pasif, and this is what we say at a wedding. And there's a song to it. And it's speaking, this pasif is speaking about the concept of rejoice and cause to rejoice, beloved friend. How much should you rejoice? Again, at a wedding. Beloved friends, let's rejoice and cause to rejoice. How much? Let's rejoice like the joy that they had in Gun Aiden long, long ago. Because the joy that they had in Gun Aiden was before the split. The kind of joy in Gun Aiden before everything kind of went sour, if you want to say it was a joy of a very deeply unified male-female energy. Other and Chava were created back-to-back, but as one person, as one person, they weren't yet face-to-face. For that, there had to be the split that enabled them to be face-to-face. So they were back-to-back, but they were a perfect union. You can't fight with somebody that you're back-to-back with, right? that the masculine and feminine energy were just in one union. It was very powerful. But higher than that is the split in the Shira that Hasidus and Kabbalah say Hashem created so that now that this entity of Adam Chava as one body was split and they, and this was in the, you know, first day of create, as, as they were created and and they were then made to be able to be face to face once they could be face to face they could then have a relationship they will, the good news is they could have a relationship the good news is they could have off, offspring and create eternity through having offspring the not good news is once you're split you you can get into little fights here and there you can get into disagreements because your energy is very different from the other one. And so it's not a simple thing. It, what, it's in a way easier when back-to-back back in one entity. You're just always in agreement. And yet it's not the highest way. So when there's a wedding, when there's a chastana, and we say this at under the, under the chuppah, I think, be joyful, my beloved, Friends, the beloved, um, very close friends, and we're going to see it another time what this means. We're bringing, what we're doing is wishing this couple that they should go back to, they should create, not go back, but create the kind of unity that was at the time of Ganesh. And just to end off, as it says, that Rey and these beloved friends, they actually mean Khochma and Dina two different ways of us understanding reality, a very masculine way and a very feminine way. but That will be for another time. So we're going to end off with, with that, with a bracha to each other. But on this revolutionary day, when a revolution is coming into the world, the likes of which probably have never been seen before in history, we especially as women have the ability to reach deeply into Torah and reach, reach up high deeply into Torah because remember when Torah became intensely feminine it, it opened up the way for women to understand Torah in a very deep way. It's now on our frequency. We do very well learning it. It's, it's, we're, it's, it's, it's our turf now. A lot about just tell me what to do it's about the relationship. We know that stuff. That's us. Torah is all about, the deepest levels of Torah are all about the stuff that we find yummy, figuring out relationships. So may we all stand together on this revolutionary day, go deeply into Torah, pull the revolution down into the world, the light of the Shias down into the world, and may it be that before we end this day, that the ultimate revelation of the ultimate marriage of us and Hashem, in the Third Basin, English, should already be here. Bajantheth to everyone, a good Shabbos, and maybe we be in the Gula Mita now.